Welcome to the Solo BG Podcast. In this podcast, we talk about solo and cooperative games. We also bring you news, audio unboxings, Kickstarter updates, and interviews with amazing personalities around the industry. We hope you enjoy this episode. And now, here's your host, Derek Rodriguez. My friends, welcome to episode 116 Solo BG Podcast before... Uh, we keep going. Remember that you can follow us in our social media, Solo BG Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's a way that you can support the show uh, if you like to do so. Uh, and also, for, for example, you can subscribe in the different platforms where you can listen through Spotify, iTunes. If you're doing it on Spotify, you can rate the, the podcast. That would be great. iTunes, the same thing. Amazon Music, uh, Pandora, Stitcher. Um, you know, you name it, any streaming service, we are there. So I'm very happy that you're here with us. Episode 116. It's been a while since we recorded. Actually, last time we recorded, uh, it was during Gen Con, uh, and we we had fun with that one too. So anyway, uh, welcome, welcome back. Um, this is a very nice episode that we're gonna have tonight. Uh, we're gonna talk about four games in total and another games that we we have been playing. And I say we because. Jonathan is here with me. Jonathan, how's it going? How are you doing? You're ready to talk about games? You're ready to have fun? Yeah, it'll be good to talk about um, you know, some games, get some get some information out to people about some of the stuff we got at Gen Con. So looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. And actually one of the one of the games that uh, I was able to get at, at Gen Con that I don't think it has uh, hit retail uh, yet, it's Terracotta Army. But spoiler alert, we're not gonna talk about Terracotta Army on this episode because we actually uh, trying to uh, do a very epic game night on this upcoming week, um, you know, with uh, our gaming group Jonathan, Caleb, and I, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna play we're gonna play Terracotta Army and also the Great Wall from Awakened Realm. So after we play it, and uh, you know, I have played already a few times, but after Jonathan tries it, and I try the solo mode, which now is officially out by David Tersey, then we will have it ready for next episode, and that way we can talk about. Terracotta Army. Before uh, we keep going, I also, you know, want to mention that we have an upcoming event. If you happen to be around the Indianapolis area or Indiana area, Jonathan, tell us about that uh, fantastic event that we're going to have very soon, actually, that is going to happen on September the 17th. Yeah, so it's next, the following Saturday, the 17th, like you mentioned. Um, it'll be at Level Up Game Lounge. Um, so if you're local to the indianapolis area it's kind of um you know kind of more in the in indianapolis irvington area of town um but normally it's a gaming lounge where you can come play games they have all kinds of things there um and so we have the place for that day um and so we are going to do a charity gaming event um it's 15 dollars to come um and we'll have a lot of our games there uh derek caleb and i'll be teaching a variety of games that uh Hopefully, you all be interested in playing um, throughout the day, um, and just we want to um, have some fun, um, play some games, uh, meet some of you, teach some of you some of these games, um, and there will be some food, um, drinks, all kinds of things there. So, um, if you've ever been to like a board game cafe or a board game bar, it'll kind of be like that. Um, but all the proceeds that we'll have um, from that admission fee will go towards charity. Uh, but there'll be some raffles, some prizes, and some other things to look forward to as well. That's correct. And the charity that we are supporting, uh, it's Indie Humane. It's a locally based uh, organization where 
all the all the charity or, or their all their their mission and vision better said it's toward uh, adoption uh, of puppies puppies adoptions and also to they, they rescue dogs and cats and you know they do uh they help the world in that way so if you're a puppy lover just like like us that we are here in solo bg podcast uh, please join us once again if you're in the Indianapolis area. The address is 5515 East Washington Street. Uh, zip code is 46219. And we're going to be starting around uh, 12.30 p.m. So, so yeah, you have it there. Like You can you can come join us, play some games, uh, you know, have fun, and also support uh, this amazing, uh, you know, charity, which once again, all the, all the admissions, uh, well, they're going to... They're gonna go towards 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 the organization to help. Uh, so there's gonna be some raffles, um, some you know some good games that we're gonna bring and teach. So there you go, you have it. Also, I wanna say thank you to all of you, or we wanna say thank you to all of you amazing listeners uh, all across the world. And our way to say uh, thanks to you it's uh, by naming the top cities and top countries that they listened to the previous episode. Uh, United States, number one, United Kingdom, Canada, Spain, Germany, Australia, Sweden, Mexico, Colombia, Italy, uh, cities, Madrid, uh, Montreal, Bogota, Melbourne, Victoria, London, England, Westminster, Maryland, Los Angeles, California, St. Louis, Missouri, Hamburg Free, and Hanseatic City of Hamburg, and in Quebec as well. So thank you so much for, uh, you know, listening to this last episode and we say hi to you by mentioning your city or your country and if you wanted to reach you want to reach out to us you can do it at solobgpodcast at gmail.com now jonathan what have you been playing i mean we we just met last week we played a, a few games um but i will tell you right now we were, we were talking about this before we start the episode uh you know and this is not a game that i'm gonna review but uh you know a few games that we have been playing after after jenkin one of them has been Marvel Remix by WizKids. Uh, of course, you cannot play it solo, but man, it's a it's a very very fun, fast paced game. Which basically you have a hand of seven cards, and at the end of the game, you have to have those seven cards there. And the only requisites to to score something will be in this case, since it's Marvel, to hold a hero, a villain, or a hero or an ally and a villain in order to be able to score at the end. It's a pretty fun game where you're basically drawing a card and then discarding a card if you like to. or I mean, you have the option to draw or discard a card, but you always have seven. And I remember you tried it at Gen Con. I mean, I, I'm having fun. What about you? I mean, when you played it, did you like it? The art is pretty cool as well. Yeah, I played the original Fantasy Realms um, actually earlier this year. Uh-huh. I started Cruise, and I like that system where it is fairly simple. You know, you pretty much draw a card, play a card, and you know, it's a quick game. Um, and I liked how you can, you know, you think you have a great hand and you draw a card and I'm like, well, that works better with my other things. And you kind of have to change things up as you go. Um, but it's still a short game um, overall. And so I was looking forward to it with the Marvel theme. Uh-huh. Um, so I liked it. I mean, I definitely like the theme better. And I liked how things work um, well. It's so like if you, you know, usually the mutants will work well together and give you more points or, you know, the different hulks and gamma. Um, characters will interact and there's different things like where Bruce Banner can turn into the Hulk in, in, a, in a certain way um, in this version. Um, so I liked it as well. Um, I do think it would be kind of hard and maybe less fun at higher player counts. I don't know if I'd play it more than three or four mm-hmm. um, just because once you hit that 10th card in the discard pile, the game is over. So yep. I want to say I can play up to six. So I mean, if, in theory, if everybody drew a card from the deck and discarded a card, you would maybe get one to two turns. 
Um, and I feel like that would be a lot harder. So I think, you know, playing two, three, four players would probably be the best way to play it, but at least it's a quick game. So if you lose, you can just, you know, start over again and, and play through it. Um, but I think it definitely does a good job with the theme. And like you said, having heroes and villains, um, and then you kind of have the other cards mixed in there as well. Yeah, actually, like, like, like I was telling you, um, I played it two players, um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's very good, you know? I mean, my wife and I, we played a couple of times. We took it to a, to a, a, a bar and then to a coffee, to a coffee shop as well. And we really had a, a good time, you know, with it. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's a good game that I, that I recommend if you're able to play, um, you know, with your friends or, or significant other. Another one that we played, I also remember you sitting by my side on Gencon after the, the, the bending hall hours. Uh, it's another small game by 25th Century Games. Uh, designed by Rainer Nizia Longboard. Do you remember that one? Uh, I want to say three or four times. You yeah. know, we played it just with, you know, just with Warren. I think when we demoed it, we played it with Caleb. We played it with you guys. Yeah. Um, so that's probably our most ga played game that we got at Gen Con. Mm -hmm. We played at Gen Con. Um, but it's a nice little card game. I think it was twenty dollars. And the whole premise is you are building your surfboards in the sand, and you know you pick a color. So if you do the red surfboard. Um, you are trying to build it from the lowest number, which is one, um, potentially up to eight. And the more cards you have in there, usually you'll get points. Um, and even to trigger the end of the game, someone has to have um, a longboard that has at least seven cards. Yeah. So you're trying to get um, either the same number, same color to play on top of it, or you know as close as possible as you go up. Um, but there's always you know different objectives. So whoever has maybe the longest red board or, um, you know, the fewest total boards. So there's, there's different things that'll change each game. Um, but it's real simple, real fast. And really the scoring, you're just counting the number of stickers on your, on your long board. So scoring is real simple. And again, this is another one that you could play, you know, maybe two or three times in a night and just, you know, finish the game and start over again. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very fun game too. I mean, I played it two players as well. I played it multiple times, three players and, and, It works great. It works, you know, nice, fast. I, it was my word when I played this game. I remember playing it uh, three players, I believe. And then I wanted to try it with, with Erica. And um, that was my concern that, you know, I don't know how well it worked two players. But actually, I mean, it was pretty balanced. It never felt boring. It never felt like like we didn't run through, through you know, certain cars that we couldn't finish up our boards. Actually, I would say that it took a little bit longer-ish than three or four players just because when you have three or four players well you're gonna go you're gonna run through the deck faster but i mean it was pretty pretty tense at some point you know you didn't want to trigger that end of the game condition where is where you finish uh you know I, if i remember correctly i think in two players four boards uh and one has to be at least with seven mm -hmm. uh boards um uh so it, it was it was pretty pretty cool pretty tense pretty nice so I'm looking forward to keep playing. What have you been playing also besides the ones that you're going to review tonight? Um, so some other Gen Con games that we got. Um, and again, I feel like this is a Gen Con year. Uh, I mean, we did get some bigger games, I guess, uh -huh. medium games. But I feel like a lot of the ones that we've been playing are the smaller card games. So um, one of the ones um, we got was the um, Game Scout by Oink Games. Okay. Um, and that's got a lot of buzz um, because that was nominated, I think, for the... Spiel des Jahres Award? Yes, um, yes, it was. I know Cascadia won, but mm -hmm. um, Scout got a lot of good buzz for that. But um, basically, it's what they call a um, 
ladder climbing trick taking game. So um, the unique thing with this one is the cards have a different number on the top of the card versus the bottom. Uh-huh. So you get your hands, you look at it one way, you can look at the other way, and then if you want, you can flip it over, and then that's what you're stuck with. And you can't rearrange your hands. Um, so you know you're trying to play cards to win tricks. But you're also trying to get, you know, let's say I've got a five and a six that are kind of spaced out. But if I can get the cards in the middle, play those and get the five and the six together, I can kind of start a run, you know, of, of cards in a row. Um, but it's ladder climbing because you always have to play a better um, hand or um, yeah. trick than your opponents. Like if I played two fours, you'd have to play, you know, two of something else, three of a kind, whatever, to beat that. Um, but I like the, you know, strategy in it where you can scout um it's like if i couldn't beat you i could scout and take one of the cards that you played um either on the left or the right side add that to my hand so that it makes your cards weaker for another person to beat you and so the play will continue until either you know someone's out of cards or nobody can beat a certain hand um but again this one's really quick so you know you play you count up your victory points and you you can play however many rounds you want um but i think it's definitely a clever little take on trick taking where you can't really rearrange your hand, but there's you know strategic ways to get the cards you want together and make some good plays. Um, the other one that we played, another trick-taking game, um, <laughs> is by a Bezier game, and it's called Cat in the Box. So that one, that one, I'm excited to hear about because I got that one as well. And I have to confess, and you know this, Jonathan. So I mean, I'm I wasn't huge on, on trick-taking games. I actually was like mm, because. Well, if you if you know a little bit of the Midwest folklore of the United States, I would say, and more emphasize in in Indianapolis, there's a famous game here that apparently you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, Jonathan. I don't know how it was in Cincinnati since I, since I know you're originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, but there's a very famous game that people like to play. Uh, you have you know you know some uh, old folks. Well, sorry for the old folks, but people around their 60s or 70s that they're playing this game. Uh, you know, also people in the 50s, 40s, you name it. Uh, and it's called euchre. Um, and you know that's a trick-taking game basically. Now in Mexico or in Latin America and Spain, I mean, I grew up playing trick-taking games, but it was it was different, right? It wasn't anything like euchre. It was more like Uh, just to put it on a, on a, on, a, on, a, on an example that you will you will hand a, de- a hand of cards. There's one that is called uh, Continental or Conquian, which is basically you get hand a nine a set of nine cards. You know, on your that's your hand. You have um, the main deck on the board, uh, and it's called with the, what is called the Spaniard cards. So it's not like the like the classic poker cards, if that makes sense. It's just a different uh, type of cards where they have their their suits and and their bastions and things like that. But anyway, you will be. You start with nine cards and you win if you're able to end up without cards on your hand, basically. So you are trying to uh, put on the table three of a kind, four of a kind, so on and so forth, uh, following suit and, and things like that. So I, I grew up playing those, don't get me wrong. But then when I moved here to Indianapolis, I saw a lot of people playing Euchre and I never got the... the The fun part of the euchre, better say it. So I wasn't like, eh, like no, no trick taking games. I mean, not for me. That's more like old school, you know, playing with my grandma and my family. Then um, the the crew came out, and I played it, and I was like, yeah. I mean, I didn't enjoy it that much at that time when I played it, but probably because my mind was also focusing more, you know, big minis, epic games. But then recently on Gen Con as well, I got the Ghost of Christmas, which is another very fun trick taking game, and now I feel like. 
you know, I'm liking it again, and I, I want to keep playing trick-taking games. And, and I'm also sad that most of the trick-taking games are only three players or 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 more, because obviously you're that's that's the best way to play at trick-taking. Uh, but the cat in the box has a two-player variant, which I don't know if you have tried or not. Uh, but I got that one just because my friend Ruben from Mexico, which I say hi to Ruben, he does solo BG podcast with me in Spanish. Um, you know, he was like, get it, man, get it, get it. It's it's a great game. It's going to be sold out. Get it, get it. So he injected the FOMO on me more than anything. So I was like, okay, let me get a copy of Cat in the Box. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't, I haven't even opened it. Uh, but I, I, I'm interested in trying the two-player variant. So now. After I tell you all this background story about the game and my experience with three taking, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it euchre only based, only Indianapolis? Uh, I guess born or is it more like a Midwest thing? Um, I'd say it's more of a Midwest thing because I mean I played that in high school and then like in college there'd be tournaments at the bars and stuff. So okay, um, yeah, I think it's more of just a Midwest thing. But I also kind of grew up playing hearts and spades and mm-hmm. other trick taking games, either you know with physical cards or even on the. You know, old computers where you play, you could play solitaire and free cell and hearts. Like I, yeah, I'd play those different card games um, on there too. Um, but then I also have, you know, Fox in the Forest and Fox in the Forest um, the duet. I think is the um, cooperative one. Okay. So, I mean, those are just for two players. So um, those could be an option if you just want something to play with Erica. Oh, nice. Um, where those yeah. are made for two players, um, and they have a cooperative one if you want that. Um, but even like the crew, you know, it's made for I think three to three players, yeah, five. But it has an, it kind of an. I do like the two player variant. It's kind of interesting and a totally different strategy. Um, well, hold so, on, hold on a minute. Does the crew has a two player variant? It does. Um, so basically, you have a third player, and I think they, at least in the original crew, they called it Jarvis. Um, but it's like a you know you. There's some cards that are revealed and some that are face down. And so while they're face down, they're technically, they don't exist. But then when they flip it up, it gives you new information. But then you have to play around, you know, and manage what card the AI has. So um, you still have some of that communication with with each other. But then you kind of have to, you know, strategize with what you know from the, um, you know, the AI player. Ah, um, and is that so, is that an official rule or, or is this like mm-hmm, more like... Yep, yep, it's in the rule book. Oh, I'm, um, I wonder why they didn't name it then two to two to two to two to five instead of three to five. I mean, if I it's know, there, probably just because it's like technically a variant and not like you know it doesn't follow the standard rules the same way. Oh, I, um, see. I see. But but we like it well enough. Well, um, let, tell me about cutting the box. We were talking about other games. Yeah. Now. Um, I do recommend the crew. Anyway, um, Cat in the Box. Um, so it is a trick-taking game. It's competitive. Um, we have not played the two-player version. Um, but the unique thing with this one is, um, depending on the player count, you deal out, you know, normally you deal out one through nine. It might change based on the player count. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the cards are black and white cards with cats on them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's, there's no suits. So the whole premise is it's kind of like Schrodinger's cat. Like, is the cat? You know, you don't you don't see the cat. It's in the box. So is it alive or is it dead? You don't know. So the, these cats. <laughs> so can it's, be, it's it's kind of like a, the short the shoring the shoring in um, what is it called the uh, the the I, I hope I'm, I'm pronouncing it wrong, but you know what I'm talking about the oh yeah Schrodinger's cat Schrodinger's cat yeah when there's yeah. the cat in the box and you don't know if it's alive or dead and at the exactly. same time in the same universe he's both he's he's both uh, dead and alive. So that's you know the whole. I guess conundrum from it. exactly. Yeah. It's like that with that premise. Like if you have a two, um, it could be a red two, a blue two, a green two, or a yellow two. Like you don't know. Yeah. But when you play that card, that's when you determine what suit it is. Okay. Um, 
And so you're trying to win tricks um, because at the begin- beginning of each round, you'll bid, you know, and I might say, I'm going to take two tricks. So then if you get two tricks, you get two points for that. Um, but you go, and when you play, so with that example, if you play the two and you say it's the yellow two, you mark off the yellow two on the, on the um, board. So that means nobody else can play a yellow two because you played the yellow two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you keep going and people, you know, mark things off. I mean, they might get to, get to a point where, you know, if I play blue, you might be like, well, I don't want to have blue any blue. So then you play, you know, green seven. Okay. So now you're saying, I don't have any blue cards. And so then you kind of get into that risky area where say, okay, well, for this one hand, you wanted to play green. Well, now you can't play any blues for the rest of the round. Okay. Um, so you do get to play with it a little bit. And like, you know, when you want to throw off suit, you can, um, you know, there's a Trump suit, of course, that, that works like normal trick-taking games, um, but it can get kind of tricky. So if I have, you know, a three, and I've already said I don't have yellow and red, and the only three left is green, and you play a three green, I might get stuck playing a yellow three, and then it causes a paradox because I already said I don't have any yellow, and I have to play a yellow card. Okay. And so, and so when that happens, once you have to break a rule, um, and you create that paradox, then the round ends. Um, and so the person that lost the round will lose points. Um, um, from that, you know, you can't get any points even if you won the tricks. Um, but then everyone will look at the board, and there's kind of a, a mechanism up on the board where you mark off what cards you play, and you're trying to connect your markers. So if I've got, like, um, it's kind of hard to explain without a visual, but, you know, you might connect three numbers up top, and so you'd get three points. So part of the strategy is, you know, staying in the round, but you also want to play cards that are um, going to be close together on the grid to get your markers to connect. Um, okay. But it's definitely more, you know, it's got the trick-taking elements, but it's definitely, you know, kind of brain burnery as you get further into each round where you're limited on options and you've got a little bit of pressure luck in, in it as well, you know, if you want to try to be a little risky and play certain cards of certain suits. Um but it's definitely one to check out. Um, you know, very nice trick-taking game. I will say, I mean, I think it's come up in other podcasts, but the card quality is not great. So okay. the first thing I did is I went and bought sleeves because, you know, like any deck of, card or deck of cards or trick-taking games, you're going to play it over and over, and the cards will get worn down if you don't sleeve them. Which size of sleeves? I think they were standard. The standard. And, you know, my favorite, talking about sleeves, and you know I'm a sleeve addict. And my favorites, and I will recommend this to to you amazing listeners too, is the Game Genic uh, Mat. Uh, they are pretty cool. They basically uh, take away that, I, I guess that glossiness, shininess on the cards. You know where sometimes, and this happened to us, Jonathan, the last time we were not this year, the year before I think, when we were at the cabin, um, on our cabin trip, that we were playing uh, Nidabalir, I believe, and then through the reflection on from the sun coming through the window. I mean, uh, if you were in certain position, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to see anything just because of the reflection of the, of the light with the, with the glossiness of the sleeve, but the mad ones, they get rid of that. And he has a pretty cool, uh, it's still like you have the sleeves and you have pretty amazing quality, but you get uh, rid of that shyness, glossiness. So highly recommend those. Uh, so with that being said, we already talked a little bit about games that we have been playing, uh, more than a review, you know, just to, to tell you a little bit about them. And now I guess is the time 
that we jump into our main section of the show when we're gonna review some games, some games that they literally just came out of the oven, when well, a few of them, uh, meaning that we got them at Gen Con 2022. Uh, so uh, with that being said, let's jump into the next section. Let's go and review some games. So the first game I'll talk about, um, and we already kind of talked about Fantasy Realms, which has a generic fantasy theme. So I'm going to talk about a game with a generic fantasy magic theme. Um, mm -hmm. But this was one that um, actually both were kind of um, surprise games that were on my list that I kind of heard about on some, you know, preview lists. Mm -hmm. They weren't, you know, they weren't the big games. I mean, Cat in the Box was on there, Scout was on there, um, Terracotta Army, Turing Machine, a lot of the games that we either got or we want to get. Um, but these were on there that just weren't, but the first game I'll talk about is called Arcana Rising. Um, this one is from Gray Fox Games. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually, well, it says it came out in 2021. I don't know, um, I think, how available it is yet. We were just kind of talking about that because I think it wasn't campaign. I think the campaign was in 21. Yeah. So that may not even, may not have hit retail yet or. Um, I'm not quite sure what the plan is with the game, yeah. um, but it was from Gray Fox Games, designed by Tim Armstrong, and this one's interesting. Um, so it is an engine building game, um, and there are certainly some shorter engine builders, but this one is fairly quick. So um, especially if you like something like Furnace, where that's also you know just four rounds. Yeah. Um, this one is a three-round um, engine building game, and the premise is um, you're um, these sorcerers, and you're trying to cast spells. Um, and they'll be in different types of magic. So it could be in charms, it could be in herbology, blood magic, um, alchemy, and potions. Um, and each type will have you know, its, its own um, abilities and own theme. And then as you go, in each round, you'll draft. So we'll start with six cards, and you'll take a card, and if you can afford it, you can add it to your engine into the um, magic type that it is. Um, or... You can discard a card from those cards and activate your engine. Um, the cool thing with this game is it comes with um, poker chips. And so each turn will have two random poker chips that will indicate what type of magic will trigger if you activate your engine that turn. So I could potentially be activating blood magic and potions in the first round or um, charms and herbology in round three. Um, And so you want to build your engine, but you also want to time it where you might discard a card to activate it on a certain turn um, to maximize your resources and rewards. Um, a lot of the things do give you more resources for that type of magic. So like when we played um, last time, um, I had a lot of herbology. So mm -hmm. you know, I would generate a lot of um, herbology potions, a lot of plant-based things. But then I also had an engine where I could convert those into gold through alchemy. And that's going to be the best um, ratio for points. So pretty much everything was three to one um, for those resources. But if you have gold, every gold is a victory point. So most of the most of the time, your engine's going to 
make you a lot of resources, and then you'll use alchemy to convert it to gold and get victory points. Um, there are other ways to get victory points in your engine. Um, and then um, one of the cool things is to counteract the gold part of it, blood magic for each potion that you have left in that area is minus one points. Okay. A lot of those spells are more powerful, but if you have potions left over in that area at the end of the game, you're going to lose points. So it kind of has a risk-reward aspect in that area. Um, but each round, you're just going to play six turns, either adding cards to your engine or activating you know, certain, types of your, certain parts of your engine. Um, you'll do that for six turns. Then you go to round two, get cards that are a little bit more powerful, draft again, six turns, and then you do that for one final round. Um, and then you just count up your points. Um, but I definitely think this is one that, well, for me personally, I really enjoy engine builders. Um, but I like how quick it is. You know, it's very easy to set up. You just get a player board and, you know, get the three different decks out, um, and start and do the drafting. Um, so it's very smooth that way. Um, the cards make sense. Um, the symbology is pretty intuitive mm-hmm. once you play. So it wasn't very complicated that way. Yeah. Um, and at least the one they had at Gen Con was the Deluxe Edition. So it had mm-hmm. um, wooden tokens for the resources. Um, instead, of, You also got the cardboard. Um, in some ways, those are better. Um, they are kind of similar colors and sizes, so it could be a little confusing, but we didn't have any problems. Um, the weird thing, um, you, got, you can either have cardboard tokens for victory points mm-hmm. or, um, as I heard about in another podcast... The Abacus! One, yeah, one of the most useless yeah. board game upgrades. No, so no, no, it, I don't think it's useless. No, I, 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 I will I mean, tell you my impressions I mean, it a little bit. Yeah. It's, just, it's just so random. Um, <laughs> so in the Deluxe Edition, each player gets an abacus in their yeah. color yeah, and you yeah. can use that to track your victory points. So yeah. I guess as long as you don't bump it or mess it up, like, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's fine, but yeah. it's just so random. Um, but it didn't take away from the game at all or anything. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, after we kind of learned the rules, maybe it took us half an hour. Yeah. Um, and I think having played it, like, you know, for any future plays, it'll be a quick game. Um, mm-hmm. And it was not very expensive. Even the deluxe edition at Gen Con was forty-five dollars. So, uh-huh. um, I definitely think for the price, it's a, a great little engine builder. Uh-huh. Um, that's a, a little bit different than at least what I have um, yeah. in my collection. Yeah. So, wh- what you didn't like about the game? Um, I mean, I guess really the main thing is like, you know, when you think deluxe edition, there weren't a whole lot of upgrades besides the you know the wood tokens and. Uh-huh. And the abacus, but you know, really, there's not a whole lot to the game. Um, you know, component-wise, you have your player boards and you know the board that has the poker chips. So, yeah. um, I think I'm okay with this one being a cheaper game and not really having too many deluxe components. Okay. Um, one thing was kind of weird. Um, so it comes with a bag that you put the poker chips in in between rounds to mix them up, mm-hmm. and it's kind of small. Um, you'd think it'd almost be like. Um, you know, the size of like a Crown Royal bag or something that we've used for tokens mm-hmm. before where you can actually like shake them and mix them up or whatever. But if you put them in this bag and draw them back out, you're probably going to get the same yeah. combination. So we just kind of shook them up under the table and redistributed them that way. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just a little thing. But um, that was kind of the main hang-up is in between rounds where you're trying to get those poker chips shuffled um, because the bag didn't work very well. Um but that was really the main thing. Um, just like any other game like this, you know, after multiple plays, you'll kind of see some of the cards and and know what they do. So mm-hmm. um, that did slow down our first play. Just you know, 
you, know, you have your six cards, you look at them, what does this card do? What does this card do? You got to go through all of them. And then kind of by the end of the game, I think we had a good good idea of how they all worked. Yeah. Um, but at least for that first play, you're still going to have, you know, referencing the rule book a little bit, you know, just making sure you understand how things work. Um, but I don't feel like that was too bad either. Yep. What is the, what is the rating for the game? Um, so for this one, let's see. I know I rated it on BGG, but I think for our system, um, I'd give it a four. Okay. Um, I, I think... You know, I like engine builders, as we've talked about before. Um, you know, the theme does nothing for me. It's very generic, but I don't mind it. Um, but I like the, um, well, one, the poker tips are very nice components um, for each turn. But I like how that changes. So in other games, you know, the order of your engine um, may not change throughout the game. But in this one, you know, the timing can be so different between each round as you reset with those poker chips and determining which type of magic you can use when. Mm -hmm. um, I think I like that challenge of it because you may have a plan, but then round two it may be a totally different plan once you see how the, the turns will line up. Um, and then sometimes you can optimize that engine and sometimes you may have to you know, run that engine before it's you know, at full power. Um, but even with all those decisions, it's still you know, a 30 to 45 minute game. Yeah. Um, I think if it was you know, over an hour, I don't think there's enough of a game there, but I think for the length, I think that was the biggest thing for me. I mean, it's almost like you could play a filler game of this, you know, but still get that engine builder feel. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, the What is surprising to me, and I will tell you my impressions in a little bit, is that uh, the rating on BGG, I mean, I wasn't expecting to be uh, a nine or, or, or anything like that, but 6.9, I think it's a little bit lower. Um, it says that it has a solo mode. Now, correct me if, if this is wrong. Does he have a solo mode? It does. I have not played it. Okay. Um, I've seen some of the pictures. It almost mm -hmm. kind of looks like you layer the, the cards a little bit. Okay. Um, and I could be totally wrong on how it works, but it almost kind of looks like in the original Seven Wonders, kind of how you make like the um, the pyramid or whatever you oh, would yeah, call yeah. it, the mm -hmm. cards laid out mm -hmm. for you to draft them. Yeah. Um, it might do something like that. I'm not 100% sure, but that's kind of what the picture looks like. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's hard, right? Like with a, for an engine builder to... I mean, especially uh, yeah. this, this type of games, like these or Furnace, it's it's kind of hard to make a solo mode. Now, one engine builder that has a good solo mode and a very solid and fun one is Fantastic Factories. But for this one in particular being so different... Um, I, I guess it's. I mean, I guess if there's one, it's gonna be probably a, sort of like a bid your own score. I don't. I don't definitely don't see, you know, um, uh, how would it how it would it work. But it will be interesting to try. My impressions on the game, I will tell you right now. Um, by the way, I give it a four. That would be my my rating, and I I totally agree with you with everything that you said. Uh, one thing that um w that makes me put it at four and not a little bit higher. Uh, a few things that I didn't like is the components compare from the retail um, to the deluxe. And we're going to disagree here a little bit, Jonathan, with what you mentioned. It. To me, I, I saw a big difference from your copy uh, when you were uh, showing me the cardboards and, and then the wooden tokens. I mean, I think the wooden tokens look fantastic. Uh, basically, the potions are the same, you know, very generic. Uh, but you have the big ones that represent five. You have the small ones that represent one. Uh, they work perfectly for the space that you have on your tableau, and also uh, the gold um, tokens, uh, through the, uh, wooden tokens as well. I think that they're, they're good. I like how the the symmetry, in a way, that all the players have. 
as far as the template goes. Like we all have the same order of potions and we all have the same basic abilities. But then of course we 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 develop different strategies to to make that engine work as most of the engine. But so I like the symmetry. I keep liking the symmetry on engine builders. Uh, you, you you sometimes have like that those engines builders that they can be very asymmetric. Here I think it works great the symmetry. Um, one thing that I don't know how to feel, and this is a mixed thing, it's about the randomness from the poker chips. You were mentioning, yes, the bag, and that's another thing that I noticed that, that the bag was so small, and when you or, or Caleb or, or, or Matt uh, were, were shuffling, it was kind of hard, and it was like, I remember like, it was I think on the third round, that um, you, I think there's one on the, on the second or, or third space, it was literally the same that from the previous one. And I could be wrong, but I mean, I, I think that plays a little bit with the with the size of the bag, right? I also don't, and this is a mixed feeling for, for me: the randomness, the randomness of how the, the the poker chips will be placed. Just because, I mean, it's an interesting mechanic because you also want to make sure that you can trigger those ability to tr- those uh, suits in a way uh, to trigger your engine. But at the same time, it could be that you don't get the ability that you want to activate until the last turn on the round because you never got a poker chip that, you know, would have triggered before. And I know that this randomness can also be in the games that we mentioned in Fantastic Factories and the Furnace because at the end of the day, you're shuffling a deck of cards and that's where you're getting the options from. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just That's a mixed feeling for me. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to express it better. Uh, I really like the drafting mechanic of it. I think the combination between a drafting uh, and an engine builder, at least for, for this game, it works fantastic. I really like that. Uh, the Abacus, I'm a huge fan, <laughs> I have to say. At the beginning, when I saw the Abacus, I was like, hold on a minute, what? Uh, and it, it was kind of like even hard to me. Like, how am I supposed to keep track of this? Because it literally brought me back uh, to kindergarten. <laughs> I think that was the last time that I used an Abacus. But I think it was very unique. You know, I, I never seen it in a game before. Um, so at this point, I have to agree with you. I think it. I think it's a solid four for the game. It's a great game, a game that I can definitely will be eager to play again. It will be one of those games that before the game night starts, you bring it up, you play it, you have fun. Twenty minutes, thirty minutes go by. That's it. Uh, and it's a very fun game. It kind of reminds me too, too, and it could be because of the theme-wise, on a game that it's out of print that you also own that I really like. I don't remember. Uh, what is it called? Um, You're talking about Catalyst? Catalyst, yeah, yeah. I know that it's very different. It's very different. Uh, Catalyst is also sort of like an engine builder, uh, but you have a, a tableau in the middle where you have your cards, and you're kind of like getting the cards from there and trying to do certain different things. It may be because of the theme that it's similar, but at the same time, it kind of like it gave me the same positive feeling, if that makes sense. So yeah, it, it, I think it's a great game. If you have a chance to get the deluxe edition, I think it's worth it. In my opinion, I think the components make a big difference. Once again, going from uh, wooden tokens to cardboard tokens, I feel like wooden and wooden are were better, way better in this case. And the abacus, man, the abacus is <laughs> is the big, <laughs> the big, uh, you know, uh, uh, hookup for me, I guess. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to at some point get a copy uh, and get the deluxe edition and I, it will be interesting to try solo mode and see how it goes but yeah that's uh, Arcana Rising from uh, Grey, Fox, Grey Fox Games I believe right was the publisher yeah Grey Fox Games uh, and the designer like you mentioned Tim Armstrong anything else from Reser from Reser Arcana from Arcana Rising uh, Jonathan 
See, it's that generic. Using that Arcana, like it's, <laughs> there's so many games with that. Yeah, um, I was thinking about Tom Lehman and Riz Arcana. So. Yeah, wrong, wrong one. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it's also kind of an engine builder, but no, I don't have any other comments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. So now we move forward. Hey, if you agree, uh, we were talking about magic and, and our sort of like a fantasy thing, but now let's go into um, a Mesoamerican. Uh, pre-Hispanic uh, folklore, if if you don't mind, if I do, uh, and we're gonna talk about a game that um, uh, disclaimer here. I was uh, give up uh, not for free, but <laughs> uh, I was help. Let's 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 put it in a way to get a review copy of Meso from Colossal Games, uh, and I was sent by Colossal Games the expansion Souls of Sivalva, uh, which is um, you know also designed by. John Claudus, uh, and and this is Meso from Colossal Games. Let me give you uh, before before I keep going. Let me give you what uh, BGG mentioned about the game. Uh, Meso uh, seven point three on BGG. It was released in twenty twenty. Rank overall two thousand and seven hundred and nineteen. Um, and it's two to four players. The base game. If you get the expansion, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, uh, you can play it solo. At 90 to 120 minutes, the weight complexity is 3.2 out of 5, medium complexity. Uh, And, um, you know, it's basically a strategy game, uh, which I call it more than anything area control and and sort of like a hand management and also action programming. Uh, What are we doing in Meso? Well, it's time for Blood of Ritual of War. Uh, Gods walk among the tribes, each hungering for devotion that gives gives them form, through the gods are many, only one will endure the ages above all others. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing in Meso. You're going to have a beautiful board where you're going to go through different sections, uh, you know, from the uh, pre-Hispanic um, folklore, uh, more specifically in Mexico. You have uh, regions like Palenque, uh, you also have Uxmal, Becan, Chichen Itza, Coba, and you have also, of course, the Shibalba or Sibalba uh, region, which is where you all the souls are gonna be there. Uh, how do we play Meso? And I'm, I'm gonna try to put it in a nutshell how it works. So basically, on your turn, you're gonna choose a faction, and each faction is gonna be the same as far as having shamans and warriors. Uh, you're gonna get a bunch of minis, shamans and warriors, and then at the beginning uh, of the game, you're gonna be distributing those among among the board. Uh, also, you're going to choose a god, and you have from the base game different gods that you can choose. You have uh, Aupuk, you have Cabracan, you have Itzel, and you have Kukulcan, uh, which is the, in Mexico, we call it the Serpiente Emplumada, which is the snakes with feathers. Um, so, pretty nice minis, I will tell you right out of the way. They're fantastic minis. Uh, one of the most amazing and beautiful, big, uh, enormous minis that I've seen in a in a colossal game. Um, but anyway, basically big dudes on a map. That is what some people call this genre. Uh, you're going to have your warriors and you're going to choose a god. And from your god, you're going to get a, a, a deck of five cards and also their um, their ability card, let's call it. And during the setup of the game and at the beginning of each era, because you're going to be playing through three eras, you're going to be allocating your uh, shaman and warriors across the board. You can place up to three in any region on the board. Uh, but as long as it's not a region containing your champion, because your champion is another character that you will get. Then you're going to place your god, um, and the gods usually are going to be adjacent to each region on the board. 
For example, you will place a god that it will be in the middle of Chichen Itza and Koba, and he will be adjacent to both for um, ability purposes or for more than anything to be able to, uh, you know, uh, sacrifice some souls at the end for that god. Um, and anyway, the idea of the game is an area control once again. Uh, we're going to shuffle some tiles, uh, one for each region, and then we're going to be revealing each tile, and in each in each uh, zone, we're going to be resolving combat. And when we resolve combat, um, you know, it's basically strength one-to-one -one for each uh, warrior and shaman, uh, and the champion will give you two strengths, and um, the god can give you certain abilities as you go during the game. Um, what are those abilities? Well, before we resolve conflict, you're going to select, you're going to draw the three top cards of your deck and you're going to choose one to play. Uh, once everybody reveals that card, that card will usually have three actions. Uh, and those actions can help you to, you know, do different things like bring more warriors to a certain zone or move warriors from one zone to the other or things like that or making your god more powerful. Also, um, and this is before this all happened, I forgot, uh, each era, you're going to be selecting one ability on your board. And those abilities are symmetric as well. So one of the abilities could be that your god will now have a strength equal to every era. Or you get victory points by being in certain region or things like that. So uh, once you do that, then you're going to be resolving conflict, like I explained. You're going to be revealing that god card. And that god card will also have like an awaken ability that will allow you usually to bring more warriors or kill some, kill some warriors from opponents. Uh, and then you resolve, you know, conflict on certain areas. Every area at the beginning of the game will get uh, one tile that it will be shuffle. That we will have, it will have different conditions that you, if you met them, you will be the winner and you will get victory points. Um, and and that's it. You're gonna be resolving conflicts after you resolve conflicts. Uh, if you fight in an area where your god was, you can kind of like a please the god, which is like sacrificing some of the warriors. And if you do so, you are able to trigger other abilities that are going to be revealing as the era progresses. And we, we play a total of three eras, so that means like three big rounds in a way, which each round will be divided in a bunch of phases and those phases in turns. And that's it. It's basically like an area control. It really, really reminds me in a way um, to uh, Rising Sun and also, uh, of course, to the other game, uh, Blood Rage, to Blood Rage in a way, sort of like an area control edition where you, which areas you want to take control for the points and things like that. There's a, a blessing area that has also been determined every era, and that will follow rules a little bit different as far as winning that era. Another interesting thing is that once you finish the battle uh, on a region, then we're going to use majorities, and whoever has the most sh shamans, they will be able to play those shamans in another region of the board, which it will uh, trigger an ability or an event or something like that. And whoever has the most uh, warriors will do the same, regardless if you won or not the battle. So that's pretty cool as well. Um, and after that, you know, after we resolve conflict, we just bring all our workers back. We start a new era. If some workers were at Shivalba, they stay there until you're able to bring them back from the death. Through certain abilities, we play to three eras or three stages. And at the end of the game, whoever has the more victory points wins. That's Meso in a nutshell. Now, a few interesting things that has is that during the setup at the beginning of the game, uh, you will determine, you will start with some victory points. And I don't remember any other game that has a rule as far as we can never have the same victory points, you and I. So... Let's say I'm at 20 victory points. 
and you will get uh, you will pass me by you will either jump me or you will stay behind but we will never have the same uh, number of victory points and that's interesting because it also is going to determine a certain timing wise during the fights and the turns and things like that um, that's the base game uh, the base game we also going to include four different tribe boards which because you can play it up to four players if you get the expansion you can play it five players um, and the board is double-sided so you can play with a more realistic i guess art more darkish uh, from the same areas or you can play more like a a vivid way of identifying the regions and, and see, okay, Chichen Itza is here, Pal Palenque is here, uh, Usmali is here. I definitely prefer the more vivid side of, of things. Um, they has some desolated region markers for, um, you know, player quantity. We're playing with three players, two players, and so on and so forth, and that way it can be more limited. Now, what is the difference between this and the souls for uh, Shivalba? Well, the difference is, one of the main difference is that you get more uh, warriors, right? Uh, no more words where you get more gods. Um, another thing that I forgot to mention, though, is that you can build, and you can build pyramids, and I think they're called uh, glyphs. And the glyphs and pyramids, they will allow you to trigger extra action. Well, the glyphs will allow you to trigger extra actions um, during the battle or during or the pre-battles uh, phase. And uh, the pyramid that you build, you're going to be building from, from levels. And every time you build a level, you get points according to the era that you are. So that's another way of scoring points. If, if at some point you don't care too much about the fight and you want to build uh, a bunch of pyramids, well, you can do that as well. You probably won't win, but that's another way of getting points. Um, if you get the expansion, which includes the solo mode, which I will talk in a little bit, you're also going to get uh, more gods. And I will tell you right now who they are as I have the box here with me. Uh, you're going to get uh, Uayeb, you get Shalot, which is... Uh, the Sholos Quinkle, it's a type of dog that we have in Mexico. Uh, and we have Sots, which is the um, the constant shadow, kind of like a demon. Uh, and you can mix and match those with, with, with the solo game. You get some solo cards as well. Um, you have some uh, calendar and codex. Because those places that I told you on the, on the, when I was giving you the explanation of Meso, where you can sacrifice majorities, shamans and warriors, they go to places called calendar and codex. Well, the Solomon will have those for, for, for the AI. Uh, and what you're gonna do? You're basically gonna set up the game at a similar in a similar way that if you were playing with another with another person. Um, and then you're gonna have also a card which goals for the AI and goals for you. So, for example, one of the goals will be for you like I don't know, like have a pyramid build in a different region every stage. So if you every time that you fulfill that during the three stages, you're gonna mark it and you're gonna get points. And for example, the AI abilities could be. Right now, I will read it for you. At the at the end of the each age, if the vengeful if the vengeful gods have a pyramid in a region and you do not, they get points. So things like that. So how is gonna work? Pretty much the same. You're gonna get one card, uh, you know, and you're gonna get one god, and you're gonna you know draw your three cards from your god. But the bad guy is gonna also have a deck of the of the gods that you have all the minis, and he's gonna review a card, and you're gonna place that vengeful vengeful god, which is called like the bad guys. They're gonna be placed on a certain tile in a certain tile that you will reveal as well, and they will be placed on that region. Then you place yours. So at, at some point at the third era, you will have three vengeful gods on the board. So that's pretty cool. Um, then you also had a, gonna have, uh, you know, a, a AI deck which works pretty interesting. So here's how it works. Remember when I told you that you draw the three top cards from your the gods deck? In that way, you can select one and choose it, and then on that card, you're gonna have three actions that you can choose. Uh, once per turn during the pre-fight uh, phase. Well, 
here is the thing. When you reveal one and you place it and you have those three actions, um, you're going to choose one action, the, one of those three. And the actions are usually like the top card, top section of the card is one action, the middle section of the card is one action, the bottom section of the card is another action. So you're going to select, let's say, the top one. You do your action, which it could be like add three warriors in this region, whatever. You do that. Then you reveal one card from the AI and you place it side by side. And the AI card will also have those three sections, but actions for the for the AI. But now he has to resolve the same one that you choose. So if you choose the top one, the top one, the middle one, middle one, the bottom one, bottom one. Whatever you choose, he's going to re resolve the same one at the same level. Um, and then now you can do your second action. But now you know what will be the consequence of doing your second action because he's also going to do an action that matched that area. So that's a very interesting take point as far as like, oof, I want to do this, but he's going to kick my butt because he's going to do this action and things like that. Uh, and then if you do, if you happen to resolve the third action, which is when you sacrifice a cleave, uh, if you have it on, a, on the battle area, he also going to resolve his third or her third action, depending on how you want to call it. Uh, and that's basically it. We're going to play the same. And at the end of the game, uh, whoever has more victory points will win. I have to say, though, now going in my impressions on the game, and once again, Souls uh, for Shivalva and Meso have a lot of rules. I'm putting everything on a nutshell, and I'm probably forgetting a, a few stuff, but uh, the basics are, are, are there. I have to say that the AI is very hard. <laughs> it's very hard because, remember, you only have one god that you're playing, and at the end of the game, they're going to end with three gods. So that's uh, um, a, a big difference there. But I have to say that... Um, when I was playing or when I was learning the multiplayer game, I was wondering how they're going to do it to have a solo mode since, since it's area control, uh, you know, dudes in a map. It has a lot to do with player interaction and where you go, uh, what you do, things like that. To my surprise, it has not even, not, not even a solid solo mode, a fantastic, fantastic, well done design solo mode. It flows very well, it's very well balanced, uh, even if it's hard, and it's very easy to grasp, and the setup is almost like nothing, 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 nothing. They will also get majorities, but once again, they're shamans and they're, and they're warriors. They're not going to go to the same calendar and codex or areas where you place yours. They're going to have their own, which they are very, very, very... Uh, unfortunate for us because they're very powerful. Uh, but it has a, a, a fantastic, very uh, great, I guess I cannot speak anything better, for the solo mode. As far as the game, uh, and here, here are my thoughts on the game. Um, Component-wise, components-wise, it's weird because it has very cool miniatures, very, very cool miniatures. But uh, the cardboard and the and the and the player boards they feel cheap, uh, you know, uh, and 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 I don't like it. I mean, it's just I feel like the quality is way lower. They they put a lot of quality on the minis, which is great, but also the the cardboard quality is like eh, you know like very small tokens and things like that. Um, uh, to the matter that I ended up going to I, I went I ended up going to Etsy and get up, got upgrades for the game. Uh, the pyramid tokens on the retail version is just tiles that you place on top of another and that's the pyramid and i was like come on i mean if you're gonna make a pyramid you want to see it on 3d they had the deluxe edition which it was the kickstarter edition that that one came with 3d printed pyramids but since i didn't get the deluxe edition once again i ended up going to etsy and got a, a deluxe upgrades where now my pyramids are 3d as well so 
The components, once again, minis are fantastic, tokens, not so much. Cards quality, they're very standard. I, anyways, leave my cards tarot size, but, um, you know, nothing incredible, nothing bad. It's just, you know, very standard quality, which is, which is okay. Once again, the big pro is the minis. The big minis for the gods, they are fantastic. I mean, I feel like I don't have to paint them. I don't, I don't feel like even I have to, to shade them. And they're not pre-shaded or anything. They just look fantastic. They're great. I mean, I feel like if I prime them and shade them, yes, they will look even better. But they look great like they are right now. Honestly, they do. Um, I think I will give this game... a. a uh, for the for the area control game for the multiplayer game which I only tried it once uh, you know and it, it was more like a learning thing and more like playing multiplayer and things like that um, I think that one and I would like to try it also of course with with with, with you Jonathan and, and, and with Caleb I think that that end of the game I think it will be falling for me in somewhere between a 3.5. Uh, probably a four best case scenario. That's the way I can foresee it. But I can tell you right now for the solo mode, meso, solo, strictly for the solo mode, meso solo, which is meso uh, with the souls uh, for Shivalva or Shivalva expansion. It's easily for me a 4.5. And the only reason why I don't give it a five is because of the components. That's the only thing. That if you got if, if every copy of the game was with that 3D printed pyramids and with better tokens, I think for me no problem would it be very, very close to the five out of five for the solo mode. I, I'm there to say that from big dudes in a map game, area control game, this is probably my favorite if I want to play it solo. Like this is this is what I would like, for example, for uh games like Rising Sun to have a this type of solid solo mode. It works great. It's very smooth. Uh, it's challenging. The theme is very appealing to me. So that's a huge bias, I have to confess, um, uh, to the point that I want to own every, literally, I know it's hard, but every pre-Hispanic culture slash Mexican theme game. Um, but, um, but yeah, 4.5 on the solo mode. Once again, the meso base game, I can foresee beer after I play it a few times. Um, 3.5-ish, kind of. Uh, but yeah, I definitely... If you ask me for my recommendation for a big dudes in a map game, area control with abilities and hand management and all that stuff, definitely meso with the souls for Shivalva. And if you can get upgrade, upgrade components, then yes. What really affects the game for me is, once again, the quality on the components. Um on the game, on the, on the retail version of the game. Uh, the insert, it, it, the idea was cool, it's just a plastic insert, but it feels like kind of like a cheap plastic too, so I just ended up throwing away. But uh, anyway, that, that's Meso. Um, you haven't played it, Jonathan, but I'm really looking forward for you guys to try it uh, with me uh, and see what you guys think. Yeah, I've not, I don't know a whole lot about it, because I've seen pictures of the minis before, like when that was... Mm-hmm. Um, before it came out, I just saw some pictures and I was like, thought they looked cool, but I just figured it was a, you know, dudes on a map kind of game, but I didn't really know how it played. So it was good to hear mm-hmm. that description and I'm looking forward to when we play it on our, our game night. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, literally, I mean, I I, I don't remember that the last time I gave a solo mode a 4.5, um, uh, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it just works. I'm happy. I'm, I'm very happy with the, with the job from uh, from John Claudus, Claudus 
uh, that he did with Colossal for for the solo mode because I mean it, it's just it works it works fantastic it works great um, uh, another thing that I didn't like too well from from Meso just before we we wrap up is their rule book their rule book on the base game it's a little bit uh, I feel like it it could be done better it's a little bit at some point it feels like over the place they try to explain you at the beginning the concepts and you know abilities and terms and things like that. Uh, and then you, it's like two pages and then you go into the setup and then now it goes a little bit on the gameplay, but then you have to go back to the concept. It's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it could be, it could have been doing a little bit better. Um, and uh, there was another thing that I was going to mention. Oh, I really like that on you on the player boards, the tribe boards, that's what they call. Um, you have a, like a reference uh, area for the main uh, key terms or, or, or keywords from the game so that's another another plus for the game but anyway that was my my take on on meso with once again the big bias which is the theme and also the souls for shivalva expansion with the solo mode uh and that's it which other game you have over there jonathan um so the other one was kind of a surprise hit from gen con we like um, surprises yeah bring it on yeah um and this one was you know interesting too because um, this was the only booth that I got to, and um, you know, since it's from a foreign publisher, like um, they were having issues, I think, with the credit card reader. And okay. I got there, and they they can only <laughs> take cash, and I'm like, I don't know if I have cash. I usually bring a card for Gen. Who Con. has cash on these times, man? <laughs> I don't know. I usually I usually bring cash when I go to Comic Con and stuff because I'm used to that for you know autographs and things. But I'm yeah, um, but luckily I had enough for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one is called Evergreen. Um, and it's oh, yeah. from Horrible Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, the designer, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but um, I think it's Hjalmar Hawk. Um, but he is also the designer um, of a game that I have not played. Um, and I think it is somewhat similar from what I've heard. Um, and um, I'll do my best, but I've never been able to say this word very well. Um, but the other game is called Photosynthesis. Um, mm-hmm. And um, from my understanding, it's you know it's all about growing your trees and getting sunlight, and um, you know kind of an area control in that regard. But that one's all on the same board, so um, you know it's a lot more. Um, I guess take that and kind of you know you can kind of um, you know be mean and screw the other players over. While where Evergreen is different is each player has their own board, um, and so what you're doing in this game um, it's pretty simple. Um, but on your board, you have six different biomes or, um, you know, different types of land, um, where you can grow trees. And so each round, um, we, this is another drafting game. Um, so we'll put out cards equal to the player count plus one and, um, you know, we'll go through and draft those cards on these cards. They'll correspond with one of the six, um, types of biomes on your board. Um, it'll have a bonus action indicated on it, and then it'll either have um, um, an amount of fertility or um, kind of a negative effect um, that I can talk about in a second. But we'll each go around and take a card. One of the interesting things with the scoring for the end game with this game is the card that's left over goes into the fertility zone, and that will stay there till the end of the game. Um, if you have a card that has any fertility points on it, um, that specific biome... Um, for every big tree that you have in that area at the end of the game, you'll get that many points. So I think one of ours we had um, in, I think, maybe the, 
the frozen or the tundra biome, I think it had four. So every big tree you had, well, there was four points. Um, and so either that last card is going to add more to that scoring or um, one of the, the negative effects is it can cancel out the card that um, came before it. So you could leave those around to kind of screw over your opponents if you see that, you know, Caleb's getting a lot, you know, in more of the swampy area. You could leave that negative card to impact him, but really besides that, there's not too much take that or, or things that you would really pay attention to to screw over your opponents. Um, you know, for the most part, there's not a whole lot of player interaction outside of that drafting um, mm -hmm. component of the game. Yeah. Um, but you'll draft your card, and then once that's done, you get to take an action. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I like with this game is um, on the board, um, you get the lay nice layered boards, um, but on the board it has um, the different actions there, so it's a nice little reference. Um, but you can either grow some sprouts, um, you could plant some sprouts, and then grow, you know, other sprouts or trees into bigger trees. Um, so you've you know four different actions that you can do um, throughout the board that'll usually correspond with the color of the card that you took um, in that biome, or there is a weaker action that you could take but do anywhere on your board. Um, but then you can also do um, a special action that's on your card. Um, and the way they manage that is at the top of your board, you have a track for each of these special actions. Every time you take a card with that, you increase your tracker in that action, and then you take that action. So these all start at zero, and then let's say you get the one where you can place bushes. Um, that'll go up to one, and then you can place a bush. Um, so you can kind of strategize that way, like, you know, what area do you want to focus on and take that card, or what special action do you want and take a card with that um, when you draft um, but you'll do all that um, a certain number of times. So in the first round, you start off at, you know, you'll go through that cycle five times and draft those five cards. Second round will be one less, so four, three, and two. Um, kind of like in Wingspan, where you start off with the most actions, and then each of the following rounds, you get one less action. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of reminded me of that mechanism. Um, yeah. But you'll, you'll do that, and then at the end of each round, um, kind of like photosynthesis as well, You'll have the sun out on one of the um, you know, north, east, south, or west of the board. You'll look at your board, and your trees will create shade. And you'll get points here based on um, how many of your trees actually get sunlight. So a lot of the strategy is you, know, you don't want to put a bigger tree where it's going to block a smaller tree, so you, that small tree will not score, um, which is going to be impossible for you know, every angle um, of sunlight. But you'll get a lot of your points here. Um, the other thing you'll do is um, you'll look to see um, what your biggest connected forest is. So that could be, um, you know, big trees, small trees that are next to each other. Or um, one of the cool things in here is you can um, plant bushes, which don't count for points as trees, but they can connect trees. So if you've got a couple little forests, you could put a bush in between those. And now you may have a forest that's worth 10 points because these bushes connect all these trees together. Um, and so you'll do that four times, um, and do that scoring. And then at the end of the game, um, you'll still do that for the final round, but then you'll look at that fertility zone and see, um, for each of the biomes you'll go through and you'll, you only count the big trees. Um, and you'll see how many of those you have in each of those areas and multiply by the fertility symbols, um, that have been set aside from the drafting process. Um, and then you just have your final score and then whoever has the most points wins. You know what, um, that game, um, and I, I, I'm going to tell you in a little bit before I ask you about 
about about your rating and 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 what you didn't like or you like about the game. The designer also it's the same one that he did uh, the Kick has the board game actually, which is another game that I still oh, own. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a game that. I feel like it's an underrated game in a way because I actually enjoy it every time I play it. Another more famous, The King's Di Di Dilemma or Dilemma. Um, that's also from him. Photosynthesis, you were mentioning, and The Queen's Dilemma, of course, as well. Uh, Wayworld Inc., it's also one of his games. So, you know, he has some uh, games out there. Um, what did you uh, did you like and what you didn't like about the game? Um, so, um, I'd say most of it's positive. Okay. Um, I definitely like the player boards and having that layered board. Um, and everything has a nice spot for it where it fits in. Mm -hmm. um, I liked, um, I don't know if this was on Kickstarter or anything or if this is just retail, mm -hmm. um, but all the pieces are wooden you know, trees, yeah, sprouts, the rivers, mm -hmm. the bushes. Um, they're all nice wooden pieces. Um, I think the layout of the board is pretty cool with the six biomes. And um, you, know, you kind of have that decision where you know you want to build up these biomes for the end game scoring, but you also want to be strategic in which actions you can take on the cards and kind of build those up. Um, especially one of the actions can just give you victory points. So mm -hmm. you want to build that up early and, you know, keep spamming that action um, as you take cards. Um, so I definitely like that. Um, not having played photosynthesis, I like that this one is more, I wouldn't call it, you know, purely a solitaire game between players because you do have that interaction with the draft. But I do yeah. like that it's not as, you know, I don't have to pay attention to what you're doing really because it doesn't affect what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and there's very little th that I could do except maybe leave a bad card that would reduce your end game scoring. But I, I feel like overall most of our scoring came from that, you know, the end of the round scoring, um, mm -hmm. you know, more so than at the end of the game. Um, let's see. Some other things I liked, um, which I really didn't even think about when we were playing, but um, if you look at the board, so each area is. A different color um but in each spot on the board it has a different symbol mm -hmm. so um you know i'd say if somebody's colorblind or has color issues um if you look at a card you may not be able to tell it's green but it'll have a certain symbol that'll match where it can go on the board so i think it is very user-friendly okay. um if anybody has any issues with that um i don't know it's just a very um pleasant little game um you know, again, this one's probably a 45-minute game to an hour at the most. Mm -hmm. um, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, you know, not super complex in terms of, um, you know, what you do each turn. It's all simultaneous, which is nice. Um, so it did, you know, didn't take too much away from, the you know, the playtime. And you're not really sitting here, you know, waiting for me to go. Um, we can all pretty much do our actions together. Um, you know, you may only have to wait, I don't know, two minutes in between turns um, total. So it, it's really not that bad. Um, I'd say some of the downsides we kind of noticed at the end of the game. Um, I think they were being kind of clever in the box. So the box is divided into an, a three-by-three three grid. Mm -hmm. Each spot has a picture of what component goes in there. Mm -hmm. And so like one of them has a spot for the first player token, which is like a leaf meeple or, or wooden to thing mm -hmm. and that's the only thing that goes in that spot which is fine but it's just kind of <laughs> odd yeah. um yeah and like when you have everything together and the boards are on top like when i, I stored it vertically and it didn't really like nothing really moved but mm -hmm. i think you know for ease of of play i'll probably get little um component trays and yeah. kind of put them in those spots 
Um, so I, I thought that part of the insert was a good idea, but it could have been done better. Yeah. Um, I think for the price point, I think it was $60. So, you know, you'd think that would be a little bit nicer um, yeah. if they were trying to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really the main downside. Like gameplay wise, I really didn't have any, um, any concerns. I think, you know, once you get, once you kind of get a good handle on the scoring, um, it can go pretty quick. That first round, you're trying to figure out, you know, which tree has, you know, gives more shade. And trying to look at your board and figure all that out could be a little tricky. But, um, you know, after you go through that first round, I don't feel like that was too bad, um, mm-hmm. at least from my experience. Okay. And what is your, in uh, BGG has a rating of uh, 7.8. What is your, your rating for this game? Um, this one I also gave a four. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of the similar reasons to Arcana Rising. I mean, besides, you know, not, not being an engine builder, but yep. um, again, this is a quick game, little downtime because it's all simultaneous, mm-hmm. um, fairly simple rules, not, not a lot of overhead, everything's on the board, it's very user-friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, you know, these are, there are a lot more components, um, you know, a lot, a lot more wooden pieces in this game, and I think they're all very nice. Um, I like that, I like the boards. Um, I have not tried the solo mode yet, but I think you're basically playing like we would, but during the drafting phase, um, you know, the um, solo opponent does not play necessarily, but they will take away, um, somehow they will take away some of your options when you're drafting cards. Okay. So it will make it more challenging that way. I don't know how that works, um, but I think this one would be, you know, kind of beat your own score, so probably not the most appealing solo mode. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least for a competitive game, I think again this could be maybe not necessarily a filler, but you know, good. You know, let's get the game night started with this lighter game, and then get into something bigger like Mezzo, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I think it's definitely a, a four for me. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you uh, with everything, and I I like how you describe it like a very pleasant game because that's how I think of it. So photosynthesis. I played in the past. Uh, it never was a game that I wanted to own. Uh, for example, this one I would like to. I wouldn't mind owning a copy because I feel like I will enjoy it at the same time. And I feel like it's also a game that you can play with any anyone. Uh, it doesn't have the level of complexity. I think the designer did a good job on that. That it, it will be a game that it will be appealing for new gamers and also for um, for our current gamers, I guess. Um, and and you know the, the theme is is pleasant, and you know that the components are nice. They uh, the wooden trees, you know, different sizes, the bushes, the 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 river. I mean, it, it all it all feels good. I like that on the board. You have different you know sections and different designated spots for everything. I really like also the tracks on on top. That as you're saying, like you you select your card of your draft your card from the from the center. You also <clears throat> besides triggering a particular zone where you're gonna do actions, you also trigger different things on different tracks. And that also some uh, are additional rewards that you can do during your action. I think that's pretty cool as well. And in general, I really like the game. I, I don't. I don't think I have anything bad to say about the game because it's that it's a pleasant game, a light game that you can enjoy it pretty much with anyone. I definitely see it being okay for two players, three players, four players. I don't think it's it's something that. It will be more like, oh, two players don't work well. No, I think it will work. It will work well at the same time because I'm assuming what they do is they just reduce the amount of cards that are in the, in the tableau in that way. I mean, for you to get in that way, there's always a card that it's, you know, going to score 
uh, points. I like that mechanism as well of, you know, the cards that we didn't select, they can either have uh, benefits for a certain type of, of region or a penalization for, for other ones. So I think that part, it yes, it feels like a take that, but in a way uh, it doesn't either just because you're trying to worry about, you know, where you're going to build your trees, basically. I like the mechanism of, of the shadow from the sun and, you know, like if, you, if your tree is big enough that it overcomes with shadow uh, to two small trees. Well, they don't. The small trees they don't score points. I really like that as well. Um, and in general, I enjoyed the game. I think uh, for what it is, I, 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 you know, we're in, we're synchronized tonight. I think a four as well for me out of five. It's it's a it's a it's a, a good rating for the game. And once again, it's a game that if I own, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm not dying to own it, but I mean, I can definitely see that me getting it if i see it on a game store or or if i see it on an online opportunity or something i mean um you know there's another game that i will probably that will probably get also so yeah we, we are synchronized on that end and um now that we talk about the photosynthesis things of the trees and lakes and rivers uh let's let's dive in into the ocean if if you don't mind jonathan and i want to talk about a game that it it heal um it was a Kickstarter last year. It was released on Gen Con. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to be an Asian spiel or not, but um, it was released on Gen Con, and it will be hitting stores very soon, uh, or probably it's hitting some stores at this point. Uh, and I'm talking about the spiel. Uh, it's a game uh, by uh, Smirk and Dagger Games, or Smirk and Laffer, uh, Laffer Games. Uh, the designer is Andy Kim. Uh, the ar artist is, I hope I pronounced it correctly, Quan Chai Mor Morija. And uh, the developer and the graphic designer is Kurt Covert, which Kurt is also the CEO of, of the company. Fantastic guy. Um, I, I always have a blast when, when I meet with him, uh, usually on conventions. Um, and he's, I have to say, and, and the disclaimer there, that this was a review copy. Uh, but not only that, that I'm very happy when I see publishers like 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 Kurt uh, and Smirk and Dagger, just because you see the passion that they put on their games, and and you know talking to him, and after he tells me all everything that it takes for him, you know, for to develop these games and 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 have this this company, it really makes you think that you know we we need more of those uh, publishers that they really are passionate and dedicated to what they do. And at the end of the day, they are they're gamers just like us. Um, the spiel it's a one to four player games, age uh, ten year plus, and it plays in about fifty minutes. They were very exact exact with the time description over there. One of the coolest thing of the spiel it was once again it was a Kickstarter is that you have a oil rig dice tower. Have you seen pictures of this, Jonathan? Do you remember seeing it at Gen Con? Yeah, we went by the booth. I didn't try it at all, but I remember seeing it. Um... You know, and I've, I've heard about it a little bit. Yeah, so it has an oil rig dice tower uh, that you place on the middle of the board. And that dice tower is going to have uh, four sections at the bottom, right, that you're going to build with cardboard. Uh, and you're going to place it on the board. And the board, it's a circular, um, I guess, um, grid. And it's going to have, once again, four different sections. And in each section, you're going to have uh, uh, areas going from one to six, representing uh, each phase of, of a die, right? And what is gonna what are we gonna be doing during the game? Well, we're gonna be uh, uh, taking the role of eight uh, different specialists that we can choose from, and we're gonna try to save some uh, marine uh, animals. You know, some some um, dolphins there, some some uh, birds, um, some turtles, 
some uh, seahorses, some octopuses that they are there in the ocean. But unfortunately, uh, they're getting contaminated through the oil rig and they're getting sick. And it's up to us uh, and our specialists to, you know, be able to rescue those animals and, and win the game, basically. Uh, the game, uh, you know, get, comes with that oil rig dice tower, which looks pretty, pretty cool. You can check out the pictures recently. I took some pictures and they're in our social media at solo bg podcast but anyway how the game works is pretty simple and the setup you're going to choose your difficulty uh, and you're going to choose a goal based on your difficulty and that goal uh, if for example if you choose easy for your first game well you're going to have three conditions that you have to meet uh, you also have another board which is going to have a rescue uh, marine life uh, grid sort of grid removed oil grid and also the spill uh, um, grid kind of like progressing track where you're going to have your spill out token um, and, and different weather effects that can affect your characters, right? So once you once you choose your specialist, you can be an environmental tech, you can be a marine uh, vet, uh, you can be, um, you know, what is the other one here? I have it. Give me one second. Uh, you can have the risk, en- you can be the risk engineer. So once you have your character on your turn, uh, depending on, on where the spill matter is, so let's say it's it's, it's still like kind of like easy, you're gonna draw from a bag three uh, black dice and you're gonna pull pour them on the oil rig, and this is pretty cool because it's the dice tower, so it's gonna have that effect of the oil falling out, and then it will fall into different sections with a different dice face, and once that happens, well you're gonna place it on one of those areas on that particular section, and each. Uh, area for a die can only hold three uh, black dice and once the third one gets there well it's a spill out so if you have a certain amount of spillouts during the game that's one uh lose uh, end game condition um also previously on the setup you're going to place all the animals all the t- animal tokens on the ocean and if a die at some point it's in the same uh spot where an animal is that animal gets contaminated and you're going to flip the token and now the animal is contaminated. And if you don't save that animal by the end of the round, that animal is going to go to a basic area. And if you have enough animals on the basic area, that that's also another uh, end of the game uh, conditions so, and, and you will lose, right? So during your turn, once, you, once the oil gets spilled, then you're going to be able to do different actions with your characters and they all going to have the same actions. It's just they're going to have different abilities that you can do during the game. So um, once you do that, your action phase, will you can take up to four actions. One, it will be to move from one to two sectors so with your little wooden ship uh, representing your, your uh, specialist. Uh, you can push back an oil die, meaning that you take one die from an, from a space in the ocean, put it back on the back. Uh, you can remove an oil from the game which is literally to take one black die out of the game, which that's helpful. Uh, but that takes three action points, so you will only have one remaining. Uh, and you can also rescue uh, an animal, which is one, uh, one action point, which basically what you do, you take that animal, even if it's contaminated or not, and you're going to place it on the animal grid. Uh, once you have a set of animals on the grid, you're going to get a yellow cube, and with that yellow cube, you can place it uh, on, on certain ability cards that you will have also on the board and once you place a cube there or the required amount of cubes then you can trigger that ability that of course it will be beneficial for you um, or you can uh, rescue 
uh, a sick one, uh, you know, a contaminated marine animal that is in the sick bay, that will be two action points, and that then that way you can delay the end of the game and avoid losing by rescuing those animals from the sick bay, and you can place them now on your on your um, once again rescue marine life grid. And once you get a set, once again you get a yellow cube. So you also want to you want to get those sets as you're removing also from the game. Uh, oil dies well those one instead of going into the bag uh, uh, they go into the oil grid which once again once you fill a column you get a yellow uh, cube that you will use to do certain abilities during the game uh, there are some dice there's four blue dice on the game and once you draw those you're gonna roll them you're gonna pull them on the rig they're gonna fall in an area but they're not oil they're weather conditions and those weather conditions will um, basically trigger something that it will last for the whole round for every character or for every player uh, until until it's their turn and they play with that limitation of the weather and then, you know, get rid of that. So that's pretty cool because it, it gives you that feeling or that thematic way of like, okay, we're in the middle of the ocean and suddenly we get a storm or suddenly our engine broke or, or, or things like that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and that's it. Basically, you're going to lose the game um, if certain things happen. So at the end of the turn, you, you, you check if you won or lost. Uh, you will lose if the sick bay holds at least one of all six different animals uh, or marine animal types. Uh, if the sick bay holds at least three of a single type. Or if the board contains six or more spill out tokens, which once again, that's when a region, or I'm sorry, um, an area, let's say uh, from the east, uh, the area where the, uh, the dice face is four, when it has three black dice over there that's a spill so if you have six of those around the board well basically you lose the game um if not you can you keep playing until you meet the objectives uh, listed on the on the win condition card once again at the beginning of the game you can decide if you're going to play easy hard easy medium or hard or if the bag is empty of dice um the game will end after the the current turn that the players are are, are playing uh, and if no losing conditions exist, that's another way that you can win. So basically, thematically, is that there's no more oil to be spilled in the ocean. So meaning that the animals are f safe and you were able to contain that, um, you know, spill oil spill in the ocean. So <clears throat> that's the game in a nutshell. Once again, um, and it's a it's a it's a very cool looking game on a table. Um, you know, for Smirk and Dagger game, the rating that they gave on BGG, it's a 7.3. Um, here's what I like about the game. I like the visuals. I really do. I, I think it looks great. I think the oil rig, um, dice tower, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, it looks, I, I mean, like, like I said, you can go to our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I mean, there's pictures there and it looks great. I really like the different, um, variants on the characters, you know, different abilities, things like that. I like the flow of the game, you know. I mean, it's, it, it plays fast. I mean, on your turn, you grab your dice, you throw them on the on the on the on the on the dice tower. It does the mess. Then you move, you do your actions. Then next player, and so on and so forth. I really like the weather die as well as well how it, it does affect and makes it hard for you. Um, I have to say, uh, it's, it's it's not an easy game. I mean, uh, it, it requires if it, it, it will feel like I play the I play the easy mode and the medium uh, mode. It will feel like at the beginning, like, oh, this is easy. Oh, yeah, this is easy. And then suddenly, like, you're over <laughs> overflow with oil, and, 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 and it's crazy. Uh, one of the things that I, I didn't enjoy too much, and it's just the nature of the game, is that 
Um, so once again, the, the, the board, it's, 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 it's a circle, right? It's rounded by areas. And it's the same, a similar problem with another game that you and I, we have, uh, Jonathan, Return to the Dark Tower. That if you're playing solo or even two players, well, two players, you have more control. But if you're playing solo, I mean, you have to stand up to, okay, I don't see where the other uh, boat that is on the other side of the, of the, of the mat is so okay there so now i can move it and this like that so it has that part of like you won't be sitting the whole time and you will be you know standing up to move your, your token over there and to see what is going over there um uh if you play with one uh regardless if you play one player two players three players four players you always have to play with four characters which i'm not a huge fan but i don't see how the game will work either way especially for the solo mode so i mean that's a, a mix that's not a thing that i'm like it's more like a mix um I think that the theme is there thematically. Another thing that I don't like too much, but it, it, it's, it's similar to other games when they have like like Everdell, for example, uh, where they have this big tree, which I love and it's beautiful. But here the Dice Tower, I mean, you have to assemble and, 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 and disassemble every time um, that you want to play the game. The nice thing about this is that it's plastic. It's, it's, so it's solid. It's not like cardboard that, you know, it can get a little bit, go go a little bit wasted or bad. I mean, this is, this is plastic, so it's cool. It's easy to assemble, and it's just like you know that you have to do it every time that you want to play the game. Um, and 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 that's it. I think it, it's a light game. I think it's a fun game. I think it's a fun family cooperative game. I think it will be appealing for you know like if if you have a chance to if you want to get your kids into gaming or, or your kids are already into gaming and you want to play with your kids. I mean, it's a good theme, definitely. Like, hey, let's rescue some animals and create some conscience about you know, oil and all, and all that stuff, uh, all the things that is killing the ocean, unfortunately, and the animals. Um, so that that's that's another another plus for the game. Uh, it also could, could be a fun game to play with gamers, right? I mean, I can definitely see being a fun game to play with, with you guys, uh, meaning my, my um, uh, you know, constant uh, weekly group, Jonathan, Caleb. Uh, also another... Um, I think it's another game that I can play with my other groups and, and it will be okay. I think it's a game that I can play with, with friends and, and it will be okay because the theme is light, the game is light, and it's easy to teach. It reminds me a lot of another game that, that um, Erica really likes, which is Hot Shots um, uh, from Fireside Games, kind of like a tower defense. This feels similar in a way, um, but of course different theme. And yeah, that's the spiel. My rating for the game, uh, it's a 3.5. It's a fun, it's a fun game. Components are, are are great. It's just that you know, um, I feel like this is a game that uh, it will be more enjoyable two, three, even four players than solo. I think solo mode is fun, but I don't think it's as fun as if you're playing two, three, or four players. Just because the board is distributed a little bit better. Another thing that I wasn't a huge fan is I love wooden wooden tokens, and you get wooden ships for this game, but they're a little bit small for my taste, I guess. So I will I will I would like a little bit more if, if they would it be a little bit bigger. Um the grid for, for besides the board for the getting the yellow cubes for the animals and the oil, I think it's fantastic as well. So I mean I recommend it. I recommend the game. 3.5. It's 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 a it's a solid, fun family game cooperative. And this is the games that, you know, I, I want to see more of them out there and, and I'm happy to to have a copy because at the end of the day I love cooperative games. And not everything has to be like super tense, and 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 this is this is nice. I mean, definitely you can have some tense moments as as you're losing and you get an overflow. But rule wise, I mean, you can explain the game in ten minutes or less, and and let's get to play. And of course, roll a bunch of dice to through that uh, oil rig dice tower. 
Jonathan, the spiel, uh, you saw it at Gen Con too. Did you have a chance to demo it by any way or by any chance or not? No, we actually, um, I was looking for a different game at that booth, so I didn't uh-huh. really do anything with it. Um, um, but we actually ended up talking. Um, um, did you say his name was Kurt, the CEO? Yeah, Kurt. Is it Kurt Cupboard? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we talked to him a little bit about a couple of the other games. Um, uh-huh. Um, like uh, Boop that's coming out. The and Boop, then, yeah, that ne- looks looks very interesting, that one, yeah. Uh, and then next year, um, I don't know if it's kind of the same idea, but it's another cooperative game they have coming out called Tesseract. Tesseract. Which is like a, a cube mm-hmm. with dice in it, and you're trying to, I guess, mitigate the dice and things. So it kind of gave me a, a similar feel, at least uh-huh. from what I saw of Spilled, you know, just kind of that cooperative. Um, you know, you're trying to mitigate, you know, the different oil um, spills and things that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it would definitely be a thing that I would like. I mean, we um, you know play a lot of cooperative games here, you know, even like Pandemic and some of those where uh-huh. um, you know you kind of do maybe something similar, but with the you know the diseases and, and stuff. So um, I, I definitely think this will be one that I, I would like when we play it uh, for game night. Yeah, and I have to say, Tesseract actually I had the opportunity to play it uh, with Kurt over there. Um, it's a it's a very promising and interesting game with with some cool innovative mechanics. Uh, definitely one that I will keep on my radar, and and that one the Kickstarter is coming up on October. Um, now on the, on Gencom booth they had this this version of the game with metallic dice, and they were oh. they were very fancy and great. When I talked to Kurt about it, he doesn't think because of production wise that the dice are going to be included. But I was like, come on, man, you have to put him as, as an add on or something, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure a lot of people like me will be willing to. To in, let's call it the put the have the investment on those metallic dice, uh, and um, they look pretty cool. They look fantastic. Once again, the game looks pretty promising. Innovating mechanics is very fun. I played a couple of rounds with him, and and I was very very happy with how the game worked. And that's a Kickstarter coming up on October, so stay tuned because once again, that's from Smirk and Dagger or Smirk and Laffer uh, games. Jonathan, we have a lot of games that we have to keep playing. You got also a good uh, loot during uh, Gen Con. Um, I did as well. So we have a lot of games, man. We we should meet uh, Monday through Friday, three hours daily at least to, to catch up with games. Yeah, I think I've still got about six or seven to, to yeah. play. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully next episode two we can talk about Planet Unknown. That's another game that we play um, in common. Uh, and I know you have... Run a copy on your house. Uh, I have the copy as well, and that's a very interesting game that I don't want to spoil anymore. But that's probably coming up too in in the, in the next episode or so. Once again, Terracotta Army is coming up. Um, so yeah, so th- this this is gonna be a few episodes where we're gonna be talking just about games, games, and games, and what to do with uh, uh, with our storages, <laughs> with their game storages. Sounds good. All righty. We can talk about that. I just bought a new shelf, so we can uh, <laughs> definitely talk about game storage. We, we will have to we will have to do a Mary Kondo thing here. Um, you know, we'll have a, a Mary, Mary Kondo board game podcast. Anyway, my friends, remember that once again, we're going to have the upcoming event September 17. Uh, please join us if you can. If you're in the Indianapolis area, it's a Saturday, 1230 to probably 9 p.m. or so. Uh, uh, Level Up Gaming on uh, East Washington Street in Indianapolis, Indiana. And remember, everything goes to charity for Indie Humane, which is an animal shelter slash um, adopt a, a puppy place. Um, so anyway, stay tuned. 
Uh, we will we will hear you and well you will hear us again probably in about two weeks. And thank you so much for being in another episode, Jonathan. Thank you and uh, keep playing, my friend. Keep playing a lot. Are you going to share um, on the Solo BG page the event page for the? Yeah, yeah, I think um, charity event as well. Yeah, I think we, we we will do it. So probably by this point, when you're listening to the episode, you will see the 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 event and also the Facebook page. Uh, we'll post a link over there in the in the Solo BG podcast um, uh, page as well. So in the way you can you can see it over there. So check it out in our Facebook. In the way, if you happen to be around the area, you can join us. Anyway, that was all, my friends. Take care. Play a lot. Um, keep playing games. Uh, once once again, reach out to us through our social media. And like always, remember, till next time, see you through the speaker and at the tabletop. Drink tequila, spin summer at a Mexican bar. Stephen Austin, Davy Crockett, and I'm driving my car. Maybe life is simple and I'm making it hard. Good.